hello, everybody. My name is John Mark Day, and I serve as the Director of Leadership and Campus Life at Oklahoma State University. I'm also happy to be your host for the NASPA Leadership Podcast, which is presented by the Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. Uh, this episode, I'm really excited to get to highlight uh, the pre-conference session that was sponsored by the Knowledge Community at the 2019 NASPA Annual Conference. Uh, the session was focused around career readiness through leadership education, which obviously is a huge topic for us to get to talk about right now in the field. So I'm really excited to uh, have two experts on the topic join me today. Uh, they presented this session at NASPA, and they're going to share what they, uh, what they learned and what they're finding with us today. Uh, so we've got Dr. Sabrina O'Keefe and Dr. Carolyn Meeker with us. Uh, Dr. Sabrina O'Keefe has over 10 years of higher education experience and currently serves as the Director for Student Involvement at Lynn University in Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, Dr. O'Keefe earned her associate's degree in computer networking and a bachelor's in human resource management from the Pennsylvania College of Technology and her master's degree in student affairs and higher education from the University of South Carolina, a graduate certificate in conflict resolution and consensus building, and a PhD in higher education administration from FIU, where her dissertation was titled The Development and Initial Validation of a Self-Assessment for Global Leadership Competencies. Dr. Sabrina's research interests include leadership competencies, student learning outcomes, global leadership, quantitative survey development, and quantifying student learning in co-curricular involvement. Uh, she has a few publications and has presented nationally several times on these topics. So, uh, Sabrina, we will welcome you first of all. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And our second guest is Dr. Carolyn Meeker, who serves as the chair-elect for NASPA's Student Career Development Knowledge Community. She's also a career counselor and assistant director for career and talent development at Florida International University in Miami. Prior to this role, Carolyn worked for six years as a resident director for at the University of California, Riverside, and two at SUNY Binghamton. Uh, Carolyn also oversees the mentoring program for CARIS, the Community Academic Consortium for Research on Alternative Sexualities. Welcome, Carolyn. Glad to have you here as well. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to join you. Well, it's uh, so exciting to have such great experts on uh, this topic with us here today, and I'm really excited for this conversation. But let's just start off, uh, help me understand, how did you come into the field of student affairs? I find everyone's journey so interesting. So, so Carolyn, why don't we start with you with that? Okay. So having grown up in California, I really wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do um, after high school. For me, it was just a natural progress progression to go to college, so I went to community college called College of the Canyons out in Valencia, California. Um, from there, I transferred into UCLA. I had some really great professors, some really cool classes in education and Spanish, and I thought, you know, I think I want to be an ESL, English as a Second Language Teacher. However, I ended up getting taking a couple courses with our education professors. Um, one of whom was Chip Anderson, who was one of the like four founders of Strengths Strengths Club. Mm -hmm. And through that, I, you know, I had some mentors, and I really loved some of the work that we did in higher education. So I ended up staying at UCLA. I completed my master's in education and counseling and student affairs. Um, from there, I just kind of fell into advising, peer mentoring things like that. So after my master's, my first job in higher education was as a resident director. So I really love working with students, you know, 
seeing all the ways that they can develop and the impact that we can have on our students and our communities. <clears throat> However, at one point, I'm like, you know what, I think I need a break from roommate mediations. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up I at, NASPA. <laughs> at NASPA, I ended up um, going to what we now call the placement exchange, um, kind of job searching. And I wasn't really thinking uh, career in career development because I didn't have professional experience doing that. However, Lauren Hubachek butler who was on the search committee, contacted me saying, hey, we have a position as a career you know, counselor at FIU. We'd love to interview you. So I spoke with her, and I'm like, you know what? That job seems really interesting. I'd love to do it. I just want to make sure that you know I don't have any full-time experience as a career advisor. And she's like, oh, yeah, we see that, but you have great transferable skills and we'd love to talk to you more. And that really kind of turned the page for me. So I went from residence life to career advising. Um, and that conversation about the transferable skills, and let's talk about the other things you've done, and how it's not so different from what you'll be doing in this new role, really kind of set the stage for this is holistic, comprehensive. All of us are educating our students and our community members, maybe through different ways and different programs, but all with the same intent and hopefully building some of the same leadership um, competencies. Hmm. Absolutely. And I, I love that idea of transferable skills. I think sometimes we don't do a good job of thinking through for ourselves what we have done, what we have accomplished, and how that would look sort of outside of our specific area. So it sounds like you were really fortunate to get to have somebody ha have that conversation with you early on. Absolutely. And if anyone knows Lauren, she's amazing. Awesome. Well, Sabrina, how about you? I mean, you've got such a, a, a great uh, educational background and such great experience there. How did you come into the field? Yeah, so um, as you mentioned in my bio, my first degree is in computer networking because I went to college really wanting to know how computers worked. I got there, I figured out how computers worked, and then I didn't care anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I was like, no. Check that off the list. Yep, yep. Yeah, 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 I did it. Um, so, so that's why there was kind of like an abrupt change in my, my education path sort of after that. Um, so I finished the, the associate's degree, but I, I went through, you know, one of those moments that I think a, a lot of us do where I was like, what do I want to do? I know that I don't want to do computers, but I don't know what I want to do. So I utilized the career services office, my undergrad, and, um, and you know, after a series of personality assessments and just talking with the career counselor, um, at that time I, I was super involved on campus. I was student government president. I was on all these leadership roles. And the advisor goes, you know, you can get paid for this. Like, this is a job. And I was like, what? I can get paid for this? I keep doing this? Um, and they're like, yeah. And so then that's when I made the, you know, switch into like the business with the human resource focus um, as a backbone, knowing that I was headed to grad school in a few years after my bachelor's degree. And so, so my aha moment was actually in a career services office. <laughs> awesome. Which... I mean, the, good, right, somebody was doing their job successfully, right, and, and, uh, and very well in that moment. So I always tell students, our career services folks are so dedicated and talented and helpful, and the later you wait to go into their office, the less helpful they can be to you. And so uh, I think early on when we're, we're getting to guide folks and, and have those conversations, they can have great meaning for students. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. 
<laughs> uh, well, so tell me, you know, when we talk about this, when we talk about leadership, one thing I always want to know from people outside of what we think of as the traditional leadership canon, what are you reading or watching or listening to that are giving you some really interesting insights into, uh, into leadership? Sabrina, we'll start with you with that one. Yeah, so actually the, the book that I'm reading right now is called What's Your M.O.? And it's actually um, about Michelle Obama. And it's, so it's the idea of living your best life, but not just through work. And so I think that's important because sometimes I get so wrapped up into how excited I am about all the things happening, you know, in my day-to-day uh, work life that I forget that I have a family at home and I have, you know, friends and, and all of that. And um, what the author is doing in this book is she just kind of analyzed all of the public realm of Michelle Obama and just, like, has really great um, little little stories about, you know, when Michelle demonstrated these different qualities of, you know, sort of work-life balance and how she, you know, from the author's point of view is able to balance all of that and then, then goes on to give tips of, like, how you can, what you can learn from that, um, you know, to keep those different relationships in different areas of your life. And so, uh, again, I think that's useful because especially when we think about leadership, we, we it tends to be very career-driven, um, and, and we have to remember that there are these other aspects and that they all kind of intermingle together. I love that, especially, yeah, from this career perspective, understanding that our, our students and, and we ourselves are whole, whole people, right? And so what happens outside of the office is important and, and influences what goes on. And there's a natural connection that, yeah, you're right, sometimes it's just easier to forget uh, that we are people with full lives. Awesome. Well, Carolyn, what about you? So I'm actually just starting a book. There's a virtual book club that I joined through the ACE Women's Network of Florida. And so the book that we're reading is Beyond Measure by Margaret Hefferman. Heffernan. So she's looking at kind of the idea of, you know, over years of working in organizations, the realization that the small shifts that people make that have the greatest impact. So it's embracing conflict as a creative catalyst like not shying away from, the, from conflict, um, using every mind for all the people on your team, which, you know, being a, having a, a strength as includer for StrengthsQuest, I'm like, oh, yes, that touches me. Um, uh-huh. Celebrating the mistakes that people make um, while also kind of understanding what went into it, how can we avoid it in the future, um, speaking up and listening more and encouraging time off of work, really allowing people to kind of be your authentic self while contributing to, you know, the whole of the group and are moving us forward by not shying away from difficult conversations and mistakes, but really learning from them and finding value in all of the experiences that we have independently, but also as a collective. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so funny that those are conversations that I think we have with our students a lot as well, right? The importance of mm-hmm. embracing conflict and not shying away, but when we when we come to our own lives and our own workplaces, sometimes those are those are easy to, things to forget to do. So it sounds like for both of you, these are these are things that are providing some really cool uh, value as as we're thinking about ourselves as whole people. Yeah, and you know, I would say that one thing that you brought up is, um, or that you you brought to mind for me is there's a book chapter that I co-wrote with um, one of my professors. Um, and he, it was on incivility, and that's one of his areas of expertise. So when he's looking at um, 
how do people engage in conflict and incivility in the workplace? It's looking at how do we, with respect, have opposing opinions and different ways of going about accomplishing, you know, similar tasks. So I would like to say, so Tom Rio is a faculty member, Dr. Rio, and it's just so important that we take all the information that we have from our different degrees, the different classes that we've had, the research we've been able to do, and really take it and apply it in an applicable sense to the work that we have with students. How can you really have an assertive conversation while respecting other people? Oh. What an important skill for our students to develop and I think for us to develop as professionals as well. So very, very interesting. Well, thank you for sharing. Uh, so I want to talk about this topic that you presented on at the, uh, the pre-conference for us uh, at NASPA about connecting uh, career readiness to, to uh, student leadership. I think that's a real interesting topic. It's a great idea for the folks out there to be really cognizant about what they're doing. So to start off with on this topic, what do we mean when we talk about career readiness? Like what, what is it and how does it connect to leadership? Great. Thank you for asking. So we'll start just with the, general, the, the recent definition of career readiness as put forward by the National Association of Colleges and Employers. NACE defines career readiness as the attainment and demonstration of requisite competencies that broadly prepare college graduates for a successful transition into the workplace. So it's pretty much all the things that our, we expect that our students are learning how to manage and really be successful at before they graduate. And this mm. is based on you know, uh, surveys with employers, faculty members, students, alumni. So NACE put for eight career readiness competencies, um, and they're fairly broad. So critical thinking and problem solving is one competency. Another one is oral and written communication. The third is teamwork and collaboration. Now digital technology is another competency, and that can be so um, varied. At the, at the very least, it would be, can you use email? Can you use Microsoft Word? Okay. Um, leaders, leadership is another one. And a, of course, the focus of, of our pre-con was leadership, but obviously encompassing all of these other competencies. Mm -hmm. Professionalism and work ethic was another competency put forth by NACE. Career management, and then global and intercultural fluency which a lot of people kind of relate to diversity in general. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, so I'm really interested in this because career readiness to me is one of those terms that if, if you don't do this work every day, you just sort of assume that you know what it means. But, uh, you know, mm -hmm. at, at least for me, before we had this conversation, I never really sat down and thought, well, what do I actually mean when I, when I say that? Uh, it's just kind of a catch-all term, I think. And I'm, I'm really interested in the fact that it's about – that successful transition into the workplace. It's not just about getting a job, which I think maybe we assume uh, career readiness means, can you go out and get a job? But it's, can you actually successfully navigate that transition from college life in, into the workplace life? And I think having those eight competencies uh, for students can really serve them well, it sounds like, in, in becoming those successful adults. Mm -hmm. And Sabrina's done a really good job working with, when, when we worked with her at Florida International University, is really helping us articulate 
these eight competencies, but, and she'll talk about this more, but really how do you use these competencies in interviews, resumes, um, to, you know, to be successful, not just to get the job, but really once you're there, you know, to be the professional that you can be. I, yeah, I, you know, I see that all of the time with students who are having these uh, deep, rich learning experiences on a college campus in their leadership positions, but then aren't talking about them in such a way that, that demonstrates to an employer their competency. You know, they just will list it on a resume, you know, I led this program, but don't talk about, okay, that means I managed this budget and I, I had this group of people and sort of all of the intense work that they did. So helping students understand, work through that language of competency has got to be really valuable for them. Mm -hmm. sure. Well, Sabrina, why don't you then tell us a little bit about the work that you have done uh, connecting leadership development and career readiness. Yeah. So, um, so a lot of the work that I've been doing is based off of Corey C. Miller's The Student Leadership Competencies Research. And so, so what she had done, for those of you that are not familiar, was that she um, used, she analyzed all of the different accrediting agencies across the U.S. Um, and I think a total of like, two, like 522 academic programs um, within like 98 academic accrediting agencies. And she looked at that across like the CAS standards, um, learning reconsidered, the relational leadership model, social change model, and the five practices of exemplary leadership. And what she found was uh, that there were 60 competencies that were coming up in all of these accrediting agencies' documents. And so with 60, 60 is way too much for any of us to focus on. So, so we've been working on different frameworks uh, for these 60 competencies so that programs uh, can be developed that focus in on different areas. And so what I did with the career readiness was I, I did a similar thing where I, I created a framework uh, based on the different definitions that Nate had with the career readiness um, against her 60 competencies to break it down a little more. Whenever I looked at the NACE work, the, the paragraphs were a little bit generic when we were trying to figure out how we could teach and articulate and measure, uh, you know, how are we helping students with this. So, so what I did was each of the NACE competencies are now paired with a couple of the, the student leadership competencies based on the way that she defines them in her work. And then from there, we're able to focus a little bit more um, with some of our programmings and, you know, and I created a tool so that we can measure them a little easier for students as well. And so just very quickly, the, the way that I mapped them out is that uh, for critical thinking and problem solving, I mapped that to decision making, problem solving, and analysis. Then for oral and written communication, I mapped that to verbal communication and writing. Then teamwork and collaboration, I map to collaboration, conflict negotiation, and group development. Digital technology didn't have any direct connections, uh, but in the instruments that I'll talk a little bit more later, um, we still were able to include some uh, questions about that for the students based off of the definitions provided by NACE. Then leadership is motivation, empowerment, and others' contributions. Professionalism and work ethic is responsibility for personal behavior, initiative, nonverbal communication, 
follow-through reflection and application. Career management is personal values, self-development, and self-understanding. And then global and intercultural fluency is other circumstances, inclusion, and diversity. Um, mm. So this framework has really helped us be able to shape um, some different programs and, and learning tools for, you know, for the people that are using it a little more clearly than just the, the you know, overall. And we're able to connect some programs that are already happening to this now career readiness framework by using the same language. And I think that's the biggest benefit of using competencies is that we do, we are starting to create this common language where, you know, because it's coming from this academic accrediting agency, you know, those documents, academics understand what we're talking about if we're using this language. Employers understand what we're talking about when we use this language. And so when we've adopted these competencies in the work that I've been doing, it's, ne it's never been about changing what we're doing. It's about tweaking the way that we talk about it so that we're all on the same page and can really help the students more holistically. So I, I, I think that's actually a really important point. Um, not changing what we're doing, not necessarily creating new programs, but doing so, talking about them in such a way that everybody can connect. And, and I think so often those of us who work with students on college campuses, this idea of being able to speak the same language as the faculty and the academic side, and then also the employers, I, I, to me I would imagine having a, a shared language has got to make that work so much uh, easier for folks to be able to just kind of connect across the board. Yeah, for sure. Well, awesome. I, and, you know, those competencies that, that you mentioned with the leadership ones and, and the career ones, it sounds to me like there are some that really probably obviously fit, right? There are some natural connections with some of those categories. And some probably took a little bit more sort of thinking through and, and, and follow through. So what was your process to, to map those together? How did you decide kind of what went where? Yeah. So that actually was part of a validation process that I was doing for an instrument is how this all really happened. And so um, as you mentioned, my dissertation was in the initial you know, creation, initial uh, validation of an instrument. And so that's become one of my things uh, is to try to get some numbers behind the good qualitative work that we're doing in the field so that we can you know, speak to different people. So, to do that, I use the educational um, and psychological testing standards in order to validate these instruments. And so one of the, um, the constructs that you sort of look at for that is, is this mapping and trying to get, um, yes, you know, try to get others to help with it, so like the experts um, with that. So when we I was at FIU when we started this project, and so we were looking to use the NACE competencies for learning outcomes for the entire Division of Student Affairs. And so what I did was I took, I took an initial look at the different competencies, uh, the way that they were written in the paragraphs, and I sort of highlighted the words that stood out to me that were probably competencies in Corey C. Miller's work. And so then I went back and I double checked and, and then sort of tried to find the strongest ones, you know, based on the NACE definitions so that we didn't have too many that we were focusing in on for each one. And then what I did after that was we did what was called a, what's called a table of specifications. And so there, I, there was a committee at that time and it was 
put together from people all across the Division of Student Affairs um, and Career Center and, and everyone. And so what a table of specifications is is that I put the definitions for the NACE competencies and then I put the definitions for the different student leadership competencies and I had them map those as well. And then we compared to see if they mapped the competencies the same way that I mapped the competencies um, for that process. And so um, there were some competencies that I had mapped one way uh, that we ended up removing because it didn't, you know, across the board. That's not how people were interpreting the NACE definition. Um, sure. So it was kind of an intensive process to, to get us down to that. But it gave some val validity um, to that because we were all looking at it, you know, in different ways and analyzing it with different backgrounds and focuses. I'd imagine it gave you some opportunity to put some of those conflict management skills into, uh, into practice. <laughs> Yeah, having those conversations. Uh, well, tell us a little bit more about this this instrument that you have uh, developed. How is it used? Where can people access it? Yeah. So, so what I did was I we ended up putting together for the Division of Student Affairs. Um, it's like a thirty question um, assessment of these competencies mapped the way that they're mapped through the student leadership competencies and. Um, when I w went to leave FIU to take this new job, um, I took the instrument. FIU still has a version of this, but I also took the instrument, and then I ran some cognitive interviews, which is another layer of validation uh, with some students across the nation to, to make sure that it sort of came out of FIU um, and that it was a tra like an understandable instrument for um, you know everyone, um, mm. and so and then I put it on my website, and so my website is um, drsabrina.com, and I spell my name a little differently than most Sabrinas, and so that's d r s a b r e n a dot com, and so now it's available there um, for anybody to use that's interested, and so um, and that's that that version that I had you know validated with some people outside of FIU, and. When you go to my website and you click on that, you take the instrument and then you instantly get a result. And so everybody's able to use this with students for a variety of reasons, um, you know, and then they get that instant result whenever they have it. So they're not having to wait on anything. I don't need to be contacted. It's just an instant um, tool that people can use for however they think is appropriate for themselves. Hmm. Well, so and, and how would people use it? What's the best way, or, or how have you seen folks use this with uh, with the students they work with? Yes. So there's a variety of ways. So some people are have created you know programs that are specific to measuring these competencies, and so they want to use this instrument for a pre-post test to see if they've impacted the students. Um, you know, with that program, and so that they have the students take it prior to the program and they get their scores. The scores do not save online, so they have to be written down or kept, you know, your own mm -hmm. for that. But then they go through this program and they have to take the, the instrument again for them to, you know, see if there is a change in any of the, the competencies based on the intentional programming that had happened. Other ways that this can be used is, you know, in individual meetings with students. If you have the students take this, you, you can focus in on, so you can either take a strengths approach to it and say, okay, these are the ones that you're really good at. Let's continue to do that. Let's, how do we cultivate this? Or you can take the, you know, the, 
I'm the opposite of the strengths first. I don't know what to call it, but it's, <laughs> you know, where you where you focus on, um, you know, improving yourself. And so the competencies that you scored yourself a little lower on, trying to find activities to increase those for yourself hmm. for that. And so that can be used, you know, in a career setting. That can be used in a leadership setting. That can be used in an advising setting. And so you know, that gives it some versatility when you're using it just to help a student understand the results or get, get them connected to programs to try to, to increase the competencies that they're interested in increasing for themselves. The other piece of this is as I've been working on this, I've really wanted to try to work on a 360 um, sort of assessment approach because there's lots, there's criticisms of a self-assessment where, you know, that's just the student's perception of themselves. And so I don't necessarily take the, the score heart, but I, the percentage change between a post, a pre and a post test is where I focus a lot of my energy on because a 4 to a 6 is the same as a 7 to a 9. And so no matter, you know, where the student sort of ranks themselves, um, you're still seeing the change. The change would be important. But in the, but what I've been trying to work on is um, on my website as well, you'll notice that there is a peer assessment. And so this assessment is meant to mirror the self-assessment and be given to, and, and a peer can take it. So I used it with, um, I had a group of students that were peer leadership consultants, and they worked very closely with each other um, throughout the school year. And so they had taken the instrument, you know, at the beginning of the school year for all of their um, you know, just to see where they're at with their different competencies. But then at the end of the semester, not only did I have them retake the the, the self-assessment, but then I also had them each take the peer assessment um, for each other. And then, hypothetically, if the student was very self-aware, the score should be the same between mm -hmm. the peer and the, the student. That's often not what happens. Right. Um, and so, <laughs> Probably <laughs> um, not with professionals either. Yeah, it's not, it's exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I found that when when I set up a, a time for them to give feedback to each other and compare their scores, that they were very honest with each other. They had very strong, productive conversations about, you know, why they gave the, that person the scores that they did and different, you know, things that they saw, um, you know, working with them so closely through this program. And so that, you know, I was like, whew, I'm, I'm good as an advisor. Like, they just did all the work for me, you know. Um, but during this pre-conference, actually, the, there, somebody was like, well, are you creating an advisor one? And that's when I realized that this, um, this peer one could also be used for advisors. I haven't run validation on that, and so um, I'll work on that throughout the, the school year of trying to make sure I test it out with different constituencies um, before I say, yes, for sure, this is um, good. But, you know, theoretically, it should be um, it should work the same way where you have the student take it and then you take the peer one and then you compare your answers because it's still giving you that sort of avenue to have those discussions that sometimes we don't have a way to bring up to the students without something like that. Um, mm. So, so uh, you know, it sounds like this is an instrument and this is a tool for students that really can work on so many different levels. I mean, from a programmatic perspective, having that assessment component is useful. But then for the students getting to have their own kind of individual development through the way the assessment is used. And then I love that peer piece of not just understanding 
how I feel like I'm doing, but understanding how others see me and what it means if that's really closely aligned or that perception is way different. Either, you know, people are seeing me as, as better at these things than I feel like I am, or if the opposite's true. I think there's some really good learning and development that can just be provided just through this, this process. Yes, for sure. One of the things uh, we talked about connecting these competencies, you talked about the importance of kind of getting everybody on the same page. And so campus really speaking with one voice when it comes to using these terms, defining these terms, what we mean with them. I think, you know, anytime you try to do that, get everybody on board, you have some people who are going to just jump in and, and be all about it. And you've got some people who would never want to do that. And so, you know, we end up trying to convince our colleagues a lot. So how do you get colleagues bought into this and, and really empower them to use this in their own work? Yeah. So one of the biggest things for us is that when I was at FIU, we did have some institutional backing, and so it was coming from the vice president of, like, this is a, a, you know, a direction that the division should be going in. And so, so that was helpful to us in getting some of the conversations started with people because, again, from the outside, if you look to start to implement competencies and you haven't been doing that yet, it seems like it's going to be more work. Uh, but we know that it's really just talking about our work differently and you just have to you know, take a critical look at your different programs to try to decide where you are already doing this work so that that's what you can focus in on. And, um, and so... You know, so the, it helped to have that buy-in from the upper leadership, but before we even had that, I was doing some work just through my office, and I found that whenever I was able to sit down and talk with people about this and, and show them how, you know, how to map their programs to these different competencies, and then just talking about, you know, create your learning outcomes based with this language, um, that that it was much easier for them, that, you know, it didn't seem as daunting as whenever, you know, it just kind of got presented. And so, so that one-on-one -on -one, um, really helped them because then they were able to ask questions and the demonstration of it uh, was very important. So when it did go division-wide, we did what we called a street team where everybody on the committee sort of went out to each of the departments to try to do just that based on what I had done, you know, prior to becoming a division-wide initiative. And, um, and we did find that that was most helpful to a lot of them, you know, because it's one thing for me to, me to tell you that it's just talking about it differently, but it's a completely different thing when you see that it's like, oh, yeah, you're right, this is my program. I do see where these competencies are already being touched on here. Maybe I want to focus on them a little bit more, uh, but, you know, it's, it's not creating a whole new program for me. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, Carolyn, have you sort of seen that uh, roll out there successfully, and, and um, have there been some challenges and some successes? Yes, absolutely. So, one of the, some of what I see, um, I'll take FIU where I work right now, is there's a lot of, um, like, whether it's cross-listing of programs. So, if there's a, you know, a leadership development program that we have, or if a student needs to go through certain criteria for a badging process, for example, there's not just one place that the student is directed to. It's if, for example, critical thinking, problem solving is going to be one of the skills that we want to develop, there are multiple different departments that they can go to, different events that they can attend, 
different conversations that they can have. So as a whole, and particularly the Division of Academic and Student Affairs at FIU, is really kind of focusing on let's not every office do every possible program that a, a student can attend. Let's be more intentional, cognizant of what are we doing and how can we refer our students to other people. Um, I think the, the NASPA, the Student Career Development Casey, is looking at more of that too, is how can, we, how can we better put out there the idea that student career development is not just through a career center. It's through Centers for Leadership and Service. It's through um, campus life student organizations. I think where there, ha where there is sometimes some um, things aren't as perhaps cohesive or collaborative as we'd like is often more of who's, the thoughts about who's going to do the work, who's going to share the information. Do, does my system that I document information talk to your system where you document information, whether it's academic records, student advising records, career development? Um, and so I think some of those conversations um, happen you know, on the levels that I'm in, and hopefully they're working up so that we can resolve some of these um, unintentional tensions. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's uh, uh, so, much, so often our first instinct is, well, if students need to learn this, let me just create a program instead of pausing to think, well, where else might this already be happening on campus that we can just connect to? And I would yeah. imagine just having those conversations among the staff and, and know, people knowing for themselves where other things is happening, uh, that's got to be positive for the environment as well. Yes, and so some of the things that I think probably across college campuses that we struggle with is, okay, so we know that there's a cycle for career fairs. So we want to invite all the employers to a career fair at FIU. It's probably going to be, it needs to be a date where there's not going to be a career fair at the University of Miami the same day because mm -hmm. we don't want to make our employers choose which one are you going to. However, the rooms that we need to reserve and we pay for, is it going to be in the student you know, athlete um, center? And then obviously it's their center, so they have priority over dates. So you know, some of those negotiations happen. So we get to use all of our competencies that Dr. O'Keefe spoke about <laughs> mm -hmm. when trying to, to help our populations. Absolutely. Let's, let's put this into play for ourselves as well, right? That's um, some, some good opportunities to get to do that. Well, I would imagine you know, after this conversation there are going to be folks who are interested in learning more about competencies or uh, you know, possibly doing these assessments and, and bringing this to uh, their own campuses. So, so what can somebody do if they're interested in sort of furthering this work on their own campus? Yeah, so I think there's a, a lot of different things that, that people can do. The first is to, to figure out what, what is it exactly that you're trying to focus in on. And so I analyzed the career readiness framework in one way, but in Corey C. Miller's work, she took a whole more holistic uh, viewpoint, and she has another framework that is not mapped specifically to each of the NACE competencies, but overall the ACE competencies or NACE competencies and you know, and includes a few different things in there than, than what I did. And so, you know, that might make more sense for some people than, than others. Um, and so, because this is all in, you know, just taking these generic definitions and trying to, to make them more specific for whatever we think is, is easiest. So, 
so there's that is trying to decide like where you know which angle um, makes the most sense for your institution. But then also, you know, once you decide to adopt this competency language, it, it is really including it and using it. So it's using it when you're talking to students, advertising your student learning outcomes. I think a lot of times we do a lot of work in this field where we create these learning outcomes. We know, you know, what we're trying to get out of these programs, but we're not really talking to students about that. And mm -hmm. so that's not really helping them, um, we've realized. And so if you're telling students, like, what they're going to learn, they're more likely to get more out of it. And if the competency language is in those learning outcomes that you're, you're talking about during your program, then they're going to get more comfortable with that language. And so that's going to help them when they go to employers because just like you had mentioned earlier in the podcast where you know, they're, they're short selling themselves in a lot of these interviews where they're just like, yeah, I had this leadership position. But realistically, they've done a lot more than that and they just don't have the language to help articulate that to employers. And so I think competency language has the opportunity to do that, but we have to help students learn that language and so or else they're just going to continue to be like, yeah, I was a student leader you know, and not be specific about, you know, exactly what they learned, um, you know, like they can yeah. once they get this language. So, Well, I love the idea of even in the advertising telling students what they're going to learn by coming to a program or, you know, participating in an, an event. It's one of those things that just seems so obvious, and yet like, we, we just don't do it. And, and what a good, smart way to help our students learn and grow on, on the front end. So well, what a great idea. That's one of the things that we've started doing in career and talent development is we have our workshop calendar for a term, um, and I think some events also. And so we started listing, just putting right at the, in the workshop calendar itself which competencies these would apply to. Mm. And I, uh, that's a really good way, I think, for students to uh, understand really the value and, and why they should come to something and what they can plan to get out of it. I think that's so smart. So the last question I have for both of you is, is a question I, I always like to end with because it helps me sort of learn and, and get to think about some new things. And so I want to hear from both of you, what, what's the next question about leadership that you're thinking about? Uh, Carolyn, let's start with you on that. Okay, I'll say there's two things that come to mind. One is this is leadership and career development combined. Um, so there's a TED Talk by Susan Colantuando. It's the career advice you probably didn't get. So her, I'd love to explore that more. Her thinking is that most of the advice that we give to college students in career advising is about particularly to women. It's self-confidence networking, mentoring, personal branding, negotiating skills, all those things that are great advice and it can get you, you know, the positions, it can help get you into maybe mid-level management. However, we don't really focus on what do you do once you're there. So how do you get to the executive level, the C-suite? So mm -hmm. she talks about the importance of business, strategic, and financial acumen. So kind of our, our students and perhaps, you know, once they graduate, we keep in touch with them, helping them to develop and demonstrate the skills that show that we understand our businesses, where the businesses are headed, and our role in taking the business there. So that's one area that I think, oh, you know what, I'd love to focus a little bit more on how can we help students with that. The other thing that I'm interested, so my field 
and my, my doctor is in adult education, human resource development. Um, so self-directed learning is something that is really, really important. Um, I'd like to focus that particularly on doctoral students and success in completing the program. So in terms of Malcolm Knowles kind of just defined self-directed learning as the process in which individuals take the initiative with or without the help of others to diagnose their own learning needs, their own goals, and resources for learning. And they kind of determine um, what are the strategies and outcomes that they want to achieve. So I'd love to take this um, experiential learning, self-directed learning, and really talk about how can graduate students, doctoral students, um, be successful and take ownership over what they're doing. Because I think in a lot of the work that I do and that career offices do does is focus so much on undergraduate students. <laughs> so I'd love to expand that more um, further, wider out. Sorry. <laughs> I guess that, if that makes sense. Absolutely, and, and you're right. And I think in, in most of our work, undergraduates for for many of us are you know comprise the bulk of the work that we do. And, and graduate students, we just sort of say we can you can come to this program if you want, uh, but we haven't given a lot of intentional development to what the unique needs and opportunities of that population are, particularly as it comes to self-directed learning, because that's a very that looks very different for many people in their graduate experience and in their undergraduate. So, yeah, and we can you know, tie in self-directed learning to all of the competencies that we have. What does that look like for a doctoral student in terms of finding peer support, meeting mm -hmm. deadlines, taking charge of your CV, making, you know, if you want to be a faculty member, what should you be doing now before you graduate? If you want to be an administrator, you know, what are some of the, the you know, experiences you should be having? So thank you for asking. Absolutely. And, and yeah, thank you. That's really interesting stuff. What about you, Sabrina? What's the next question about leadership you're thinking about? Yeah. So first I want to finish rounding the loop of like trying to create this 360 um, model assessment for um, both the career readiness, but then also my global leadership survey. And so making sure that I sort of have those solid is, is a big plan of mine um, because I think that is very important that, you know, we are getting that critical lens on these self-assessments. And so how do we so use self-assessments because they're very important for the reflection for the students, but also, you know, for using this in other ways, how do we, you know, try to validate those scores a little bit more um, for those that don't trust the, the uh, you know, self-assessment on its own. Um, and the other sort of topic that I've been starting to think about, too, is resiliency. And so one of the, the global leadership competencies that I uncovered during my dissertation was resiliency, and I found it to be the most People either were super resilient or really not resilient um, um, whenever I was analyzing some of that data uh, recently. And so, I'm, I'm, so it's making me very curious and, and also just thinking about like, you know, we have a lot of, you know, more mental health issues arising for our students, a lot of students suffering from anxiety and depression and, and how can this concept of resiliency when taught through leadership help maybe with some of that stuff. And so just some things I've been starting to think about as I'm reading um, and working with students and things like that. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that you both have not have tackled uh, small topics here for your next thing to think about. <laughs> These are good, big, uh, important questions. And I'm excited for you all to come up with some answers. So let me know once you've got that figured out, and um, that would be great. 
Uh, thank you, everybody out there, for joining us for the NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the NASPA Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. Uh, you can get more information about the Knowledge Community on our social media, including Facebook at facebook.com slash SALead, or Twitter, which is at NASPA SLPKC, or our Instagram is NASPA underscore SLPKC. You can also follow the NASPA Student Career Development Knowledge Community on Facebook, uh, where, and it's all spelled out, NASPA Student Career Development Knowledge Community there. Uh, the assessment that we've talked about and other tools you can get on uh, Sabrina's website, again, which is Dr. Sabrina, S-A-B-R-E-N-A dot com. And you connect with uh, me on Twitter. I'm at John Mark Day. If you have questions about the podcast, if you are interested in being a guest on the podcast or have suggestions for who we should be talking to or ideas you want us to be talking about, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email at naspaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, thank you so much, Sabrina and Carolyn. This was a great conversation, and, and I appreciate you all joining us today. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Yeah, and thank, thank you all. You. Absolutely. Thank you, all everybody out there, and we will talk with you next time.